Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, let's talk middle markets. And we love to chat with Lawrence Golub, CEO of Golub Capital, uh, about uh, middle markets. You know, how are the middle markets doing? How are some of the small, mid-sized companies doing? We always hear about in these earnings seasons some of the bigger companies, but let's take a look at uh, what the middle market is doing. Lawrence, thanks so much for joining us here. I know you guys are out with a new uh, report looking at the middle market of this economy. What are some of the key takeaways that you guys found? Great. Very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Golub Capital is one of the largest lenders to medium-sized businesses in the United States, and we put together this report to look at actual monthly results from the early months in a quarter to see what's going on in the real U.S. economy, not projections, not conjecture. So our report is based on uh, the actual results from July and August on revenue and on profitability. And what we see almost across the board is a, a booming degree of growth, booming growth in revenue, booming growth in profits, very few, one, but not many warning signs. Uh, and, and this is one of the strongest periods of growth we've ever seen. Hang on, you say there's one warning sign? Well, we have in the aggregate about 20% growth rate in revenue, about 20% growth rate in profits, but not in industrials. Industrial profits are down. We're seeing margin contraction. And that margin contraction is especially alarming because revenue is still growing. I think we're seeing the impacts of uh, declining productivity, of inflation in cost components. Uh, we're seeing the impact of shipping and logistic issues. Uh, in contrast to that, on the consumer side, consumer margins have been exploding up almost 50 percent uh, in in this period. And I say it's a warning side for industrials because eventually those margin issues may start migrating over to other industry areas. So, Lawrence, you mentioned the supply chain, and we're, we're hearing that from companies across the board on a global scale, even Apple had to take down their uh, iPhone sales forecast due to supply chain issues. Yeah. I would think for middle market, me don't have the, the buying clout in the marketplace. That might be even more pronounced. What are you hearing? My, my message to listeners is do your Christmas shopping now. Yeah. The Grinch is coming for Halloween, and he's not leaving. And he may not even be leaving for Christmas of 22. Oh, boy. Yes. Middle market companies that can't hire their own ships have certain disadvantages over some of the big box or, or internet retailers. But fundamentally, what's going on is we have an excess of demand. Now, that's good. People want to buy things. But we've pumped $5 trillion of fiscal stimulus into the economy. And nothing's going to change that we have a lot of buyers chasing fewer goods than, than exist. I think that the, uh, the supply chain issues will vary from sector to sector, but you're going to see in wide areas of consumer products this Christmas something similar to the toilet paper effect we saw when COVID first hit. 
that uh. people are going <laughs> to see some stock outs, then other people are going to try and really load up, and the stock outs are going to be worse than is fundamentally called for. I, I really have concerns about the degree of consumer disappointment coming this Christmas. It's going to be a big, big Christmas for gift cards. It's not the great, the greatest time to try and ship a 911 and a garage full of Ducatis <laughs> back from Germany to New York. What about the labor um, shortages that we've been hearing so much about? Isn't that a concern as well? Sure it is, and it's a puzzle. We're down 5 million jobs from before COVID, uh, and you would have thought there'd be you know, a, a fair amount of demand for those jobs. But it's not just... Uh, it's not just uh, non-managerial labor. It's across the board. Consulting firms are having trouble hiring MBAs. Entry-level jobs for college graduates are going begging. It's a little bit peculiar to to really get to the bottom of, and it also emboldens everybody who's got a job that they don't love to think about moving somewhere else. One of the statistics that came out, and we're seeing this in our portfolio companies, is that that employee turnover at all different levels is going up. That's a whack to productivity. It's great that wages and uh, compensation are going up. That's good for Americans. It's good for American families. Uh, but it has to go hand-in-hand hand with productivity or it drives more inflation. Lawrence, where are you guys at Golub Capital looking to invest your capital, put your money to work? So we're very, uh, we're very excited about industrial businesses that have control over their supply chains. We approved a deal just two days ago, for example, after a lot of work and a deep dive, a company that, that manufactures inputs for other manufacturing processes. We established for ourselves that their supplies are domestic in the United States, that their raw materials are shipped by train and truck and that there's not a lot of commodity price swings. Take that same business with inputs coming from Asia where you have the risk that COVID could spring back up in Asia. You've got the risk of shipping costs. You've got the risk of international commodities, and it would have been a very different picture. We do a lot of investing in business-to-business -business software companies where the projects, where the software is designed to improve productivity, and that plays into a lot of the themes we just finished talking about, like shortages of, of skilled labor, tremendous high returns on investment in uh, efficiency, in, in efficiency-driven capex uh, through, through technology, through software. I think something we've seen and, and that our report is, is giving good news about is in the healthcare field, where actually healthcare services companies have been doing a good job of controlling their labor costs, of, of not letting their labor costs get out of whack with increases in productivity, that's actually quite a bullish thing, something that we haven't seen in some prior cycles. So we haven't seen the inflation hit the healthcare sector yet, and that's an area we continue to look at very favorably. All right. Well, great talking to you. Thanks so much for joining us, Lawrence. Always great to get your insight. Lawrence Golub there from Golub Capital, uh, one of the biggest lenders to the middle market in America, talking to us about um, the economics of uh, middle market business right now and giving us his outlook as well. This is Bloomberg. 
Let's bring in Lizanne Saunders now. She is Chief Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. And, um, you know, they have trillions of dollars in assets under management. So good to listen to what she has to say. Lizanne, let me first get your take on the CPI. 5.4% year-over-year growth. It's the fastest we've seen since 2008. Is inflation a concern? Uh, well, sure. And I think it's it's being reflected in more volatility in the market. Uh, there's lots of other risks that have manifested themselves in, in some of the weakness we've seen recently, but inflation is clearly one of them. And although we're not seeing kind of an ongoing huge month-over-month surge, we're staying at very elevated levels. And, and I think that that has become a risk factor for the market and really puts the, the Fed, I think, in a bit of a pickle because they would certainly concede that supply chain bottlenecks as a driver of inflation is not something solved by tighter monetary policy. So uh, it's uh, the uncertainty around monetary policy response is, is elevated as well. Lizanne, given that uh, CPI number, give us your thoughts about <clears throat> stagflation. It's something that a lot of people have had to go to Google and uh, figure out what <laughs> stagflation is because it's not something we've Just seen or talked about for a while. Yeah, Just the kids. the kids. So what are your thoughts there, Lizanne? Well, I think of it almost stagflation with a lowercase s and stagflation with an uppercase s. Clearly, we're in um, stagflation lowercase version right now, given that we're in an environment where growth expectations are rolling over. GDP now has gone from you know 6.3 to 1.3 in the last few months. At the same time, uh, inflation is remaining elevated. But the kind of systemic wage price spiral environment that went on for years in the mid from the mid 70s to the early 80s was driven by a lot of forces that are are at least not yet in place here it was a very different structure in terms of the labor market greater unionization productivity was quite weak which is clearly not the case right now we're not seeing systemic wage increases but maybe most important and this is the more esoteric thing to to watch for is that what what feeds an environment like the 1970s has a lot to do with psychology the psyche changes it it gives workers and and even companies a feeling of power in terms of either mm. being able to ask for consistently higher wages consistently being able to pass higher costs on so it's sort of the psyche changes and the and the, the power um, is created, and that's where the spiral kicks in. And I don't think we're there yet, but um, it's certainly something to watch for. We are, though, in an extremely cash-rich environment, Lizanne. And I know I've been talking to you about so much cash on the sideline for over a decade now, but it's getting a little ridiculous. I mean, I was thinking you had two trillion in assets under management, and you have more like seven and a half trillion uh, dollars in assets under management. There's a lot of money out there. Yes and no. Uh, so I think sometimes the the math is done incorrectly. If you look, if you're talking about, you know, cash on the sidelines, so to speak, uh, within uh, sort fair, of the fair. investor sphere. If you look at the amount of money in money market funds, yes, the level is very high at uh, about four and a half trillion dollars. But relative to the value of the stock market, it's less than 10 percent, which is at the very low end of an historical range. If you're talking about cash in the economy that households hold using, say, the savings rate, yes, it's it's 9 percent or so, which is above the seven and a half or so recent average. But that's 
down about 95% of the way from the liquidity-driven spike of last year to where it is now. And we can't assume that we're going to go back down to historic averages. We can we or we can't? Whether, do, we, do we stabilize well, we here? Assume. We don't know whether households are going to want to keep a, a bit more of a savings cushion. So we just can't assume that we go all the way back to the long-term uh, norm. So I'm not sure that argument is as strong if you look at sort of relative numbers, rate of change versus We do level. see, though, um, in some assets – a lot of speculation, right? I mean, the fact yep. that a string of code that makes up a Bitcoin <laughs> is worth almost $60,000. I get that there are believers out there, and I love a good fad, but it's a little bit crazy, right? Well, I think it's going on in lots of other non-traditional asset sure. classes. The, the meme stocks, heavily shorted tech, non-profitable, bankruptcy companies, SPACs, crypto and, uh, yeah, there, there, there's not a lot of fundamental basis for what's happening. The only bright sort of news about all that is that heightened speculative froth has been more concentrated in those non-traditional areas than in, say, you know, the leadership names within an index like the S&P. And that's, I think, what is very different today versus, say, 99-2000 period, where the speculative froth was concentrated in the leadership names in the benchmark indexes of the S&P and the NASDAQ. Lizanne, just about 30 seconds. What's the area that you're focusing on right now in terms of this market? Uh, I think you want to, if you're, if you're a stock picker, you want to be focused on quality. I think quality is going to reign in terms of leadership in these very uncertain times. I also think you really want to take advantage of the discipline of rebalancing, given the massive leadership rotational swings that we're seeing. I think that is probably the most beneficial discipline right now uh, that investors can employ in what is a much trickier market environment. Lizanne, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate getting your thoughts and wisdom. Lizanne Saunders, uh, she's a chief investment strategist for Charles Schwab. And again, assets under management for Charles Schwab, uh, $7.5 trillion with a T. So just extraordinary there. Now, let's bring in Anders Pearson. He's the chief investment officer of global fixed income over at Nuveen. And you must be, uh, Anders, a... Um, a, a dinner guest in high demand right now as everybody kind of freaks out about inflation and we start to see rates finally rise, the 10-year um, getting up to 160. Now it's back down to 155. But still, um, there's actual movement here. What do you make of it? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, no, certainly exciting times. A lot of uh, a lot of cross-currents that's still playing through in the fixed income markets. And yeah, we, we just released our Q4 outlook report, and uh, we, we still, we're still quite constructive for the rest of the year, particularly when we look at kind of the credit parts of fixed income. We still think there are some opportunities for this inflation trade to continue. And, and at the core, we still take some comfort here that, you know, COVID cases, hospital rates are declining, and economic great, you know, growth is kind of holding up quite well. And certainly uh, supply side issues is something that we're keeping a close eye on, but we, we do expect that to ease over time. And then finally inflation, you know, obviously top of mind today, um, we still continue to think it, it's going to not be fully transitory, but manageable and not too problematic for markets. So that all in all kind of keeps us uh, in, a, in a quite a positive uh, light and quite constructive for the rest of the year. 
Well, Anders, we're, you know, the growth is certainly still very good, although we are past peak growth, but a lot of investors are concerned that we're kind of at or near peak valuation. So where do you see opportunities, I guess, in, in your world? Yeah, I mean, certainly growth is, is expected to slow down. We saw some of the IMF numbers come out this week, obviously, but it, it's still, you know, global rates close to 6% for this year and, and for 22, sort of uh, 5%. That's still very healthy in our mind. So uh, we've been kind of talking about how the markets are more or less priced um, so, sort of for reality, not priced for, for perfection. And we look at fundamentals uh, being quite strong. I, again, I mentioned economy growing uh, and earnings growth for corporations very healthy. So what, we, what we're focusing in on right now for opportunities is basically basically sort of looking at corporate credit risk, uh, preferring that over, over governments and mortgages. We like lower quality over higher quality. In other words, we're, we're comfortable dipping down into the, the lower rated kind of opportunities. We still kind of prefer shorter duration over longer duration. We do expect rates to be grinding higher for the rest of the year. But all in all, our view is uh, it's really more of a coupon clipping kind of type environment, more or less uh, an a income carry kind of type play. So we're comfortable reaching for a little bit of yield. Mm. And certainly while spread levels are not exciting, we are you know comfortable going after asset classes like leveraged loans, uh, preferred securities, uh, certain parts of the emerging market. So again, kind of going after that credit part, the plus sectors of fixed income is, is our preferred approach at this point. And, uh, you know, we hear similar um, sentiment from Howard Marks right now as well. You're not then at all worried about a wave of defaults. Um, even though people are talking stagflation, no one's really talking about uh, the economy, economic growth grinding to a halt or, or even coming close to contracting. No, we're, we're, we're not worried about that at this point. I mean, earnings growth, uh, again, for corporations, very healthy. Defaults have been coming down to record levels. Expect to be below 1% for, for this year, kind of one and a quarter, one and a half for 2022. You know, rating agencies obviously have some influence in the fixed income space, and they've been upgrading their ratings significantly more than we see in downgrades. And, and all in all, you know, stagflation obviously is a topic that, that you hear a lot about right now. Our view is that with, again, economic growth being as healthy as it is right now, um, th that's really not top of mind on, on our end. So, you know, we kind of come back to the fact that we're seeing healthy growth all in all, um, supply chains obviously being a bit concerning and taking longer to kind of play through than I think most everybody was expecting. But um, the demand remains very, very strong, and we think that's going to be addressed over time. And as I mentioned, inflation is, is mostly going to be transitory in our mind. So, so all in all, I think stagflation, uh, you know, it's really not a concern of ours, and defaults continues to be very low. So the fundamentals continue to be to be very strong here if we take kind of a step back and, and try to ignore, you know, many of the cross currents that we're dealing with. And, and that's why we remain quite constructive, particularly on the credit side of fixed income. Andrew, you mentioned emerging markets. Talk to us about China here. Lots of changes there from a governmental regulatory perspective. How do you view China? Yeah, China is certainly, you know, top of mind for, for all investors at this point. And, and, you know, key focus of the past few weeks, particularly around the Evergrande kind of type um, 
ongoing uncertainty. You know, I, I would say, you know, we we still are quite constructive on China overall, if, particularly if we look at the sovereign kind of type level, Chinese government wants. We're actually quite, we quite like them. We're not too concerned about that. If anything, you know, a little bit of a flight to safety there in, in our mind, um, you know, could be quite attractive. And there is diversification and, and not quite as correlated to other parts of, uh, of, of the fixed income space. So, you know, certainly from the sovereign side, we're quite comfortable. On the corporate side, you know, we, we're keeping a very close eye on that. We prefer to, right. you know, take a little bit of a wait and see to make sure that we get a little bit of a, a better feel for how they're going to be handled Evergrande. But yep. um, still a lot of moving parts in that space. Okay. Anders, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate getting your global perspective. Anders Pearson, Chief Investment Officer of Global Fixed Income for Nuveen, another big, huge asset manager, $1.2 trillion in assets under management. We'll have more coming up. This is Bloomberg Markets. Good morning. Looking at the markets here, kind of mixed, obviously, as we uh, head into the teeth of this third quarter earnings. Next year, it looks like tax rates are going up. And what does that mean for individual investors now as they think about their portfolio? Let's check in with Dan Griffin. He's Senior Vice President and Director of Wealth Strategy at Huntington Private Bank, based in North Canton, Ohio, the great state of Ohio. Dan, thanks so much for joining us again here. Talk to us about taxes. It, it, it appears that taxes are going up. We don't know by how much. So when you talk to your clients, what do you tell them about taxes and tax planning? Well, glad to be here, Matt and Paul, and thanks for having me. It's a, it's a great question. It's a wonderful thing to be able to go into another year-end here with a little bit of frantic year-end planning. As everyone remembers, last year we were in a similar situation as we can think back to uh, people's concern over what was going to happen with a potential flip in the Senate, and uh, we didn't know what was going to happen there. And I fear that we're kind of in the same position right now. So what we're telling people is be prepared. Make sure you've got good advisors in place. Make sure you've got a plan in place. Uh, and make sure that you're prepared to be flexible around what could be any number of uh, responses from Washington that could happen. Is there anything you can do to limit uh, your your income hit to taxes? I mean, obviously, if you've got uh, money after income taxes lying around, you can put it into munis and there are a number of other things. But in terms of a salaried uh, woman or man, is there anything besides an IRA that can be done? Uh, sure. I think for a lot of people, what you might want to be thinking about would be obviously reductions in this year and then reductions in the future. The folks that we're most concerned about and that we're working hardest to advocate for are the people who are going to end up in that highest bracket position. And uh, ironically, a lot of our clients think that they're in the highest tax bracket, but they're not. So that's one of the first things to think about is even with the proposals that are on the table, there are many people who aren't going to be affected. It's probably only about 900,000 households in the United States that are actually paying taxes at the highest bracket. So the first thing that we suggest to people is let's make sure that you're affected. There are plenty of folks around the country club tables who uh, complain about being in the highest tax brackets and may not actually be there. And so that's the first thing is feeling, uh, feeling out whether or not your tax right. providers can put you in that position. So that's one of the first things that we do. Dan, we're going into this uh, third quarter earnings season. A lot of folks saying this is really critical for the market. How do you feel about these markets here? Are you concerned about valuation or are you still kind of all in for your clients? No, we're still uh, uh, cautiously optimistic. I think uh, we're 
in a position where we are still investing post-recession uh, with a real recognition that there's going to be some inflation risks. You know, in the position I'm in, I get to talk to a lot of business owners as they go through their process. Um, you all mentioned earlier the challenges associated with uh, with working, making sure they can get enough stuff and making sure they can get enough people. Supply chain is a big uh, a big question mark for a lot of people, and so substitution is a big one. And with substitution, whether it's um, substituting technology for labor or different technology itself or different products. With that substitution comes new opportunities. And so I think that's a reason to be optimistic. What do you think in terms of um, what we got, uh, in terms of what the market's got left in it? I mean, we've had a great run already, and now there are all these headwinds popping up. People are worried about inflation. The term stagflation is being thrown around regardless of how we want to define it. Um, do, do we still have room to run in this S&P 500 rally? Uh, we think the answer is yes. And again, the, the opportunity to talk to small businesses throughout the Midwest uh, shows us that a lot of businesses are continue to be cautiously optimistic, not that there aren't headwinds, but that they can get through those headwinds and potentially get to a place that's even better. We're seeing that even if people say, you know what, I'm not able to continue my business. I'm going to sell it but I'm going to sell it to people that I know are going to be able to take it to a different level. Uh, and so though, although people are uh, definitely recognizing the challenges that exist out there, that we still hear optimism at the, at the ground level. And I think that that's justified. All right, Dan. So it's interesting here. Where do you see some opportunities here? I mean, a lot of folks are worried about valuation. Are you kind of looking for value or are you looking for growth or maybe, geez, growth at a reasonable price? Uh, we're doing both. I think uh, what's been really interesting, both on the tax planning standpoint and on the investing standpoint, is that uh, we've been a lot more strategic about talking to our clients, about taking advantages of what uh, what are smaller dips in the market. So even in a day like today where it looks like uh, the market might be down just a bit, is that a time to talk about doing things like Roth conversions or even doing some uh, some investing in the right places or rebalancing to take advantage of those. I think that's the hard part is instead of waiting for big chunks when the market drops uh, to do things, we're looking to make little marginal changes on the edges, which ultimately is the path to success. All right, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure talking to you. Dan Griffith is Senior Vice President and the Director of Wealth Strategy for the Huntington Private Bank. Um I guess I should disclose that I bank with Huntington. What's uh, it? And so does my entire family, because we're from the great state of Ohio. The you know? Ohio State University. Yeah, I'm sure Dan is a fan <laughs> of the Ohio State Buckeyes. And uh, wow, it, the, just the idea of being able to, to, to move back and live in a country where you can watch football every weekend. <laughs> Just it's it's enough to draw me back, you know? Yeah, we got to get you back here. Although the housing market's still a little tight, Matt. Yeah, well, you know, um, I, I hope it loosens up a little bit. I do see uh, that inflation is um, is in places like used cars and yep. fuel, and you don't see it as much right now in uh, in previously owned homes. So we can we can just hope that over the next <laughs> few months that market calms down a little bit. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.